2: You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison.
1: Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live, online, and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studios in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, aerojet workers lost their bid to unionize, and we break down those results. Lee Harris talks to us about how money from Biden's CHIPS Act is being used to hurt workers, literally. Tristan gives us our regular Madison City report. All that and more on today's program. In overtime, if you want to, I'll go ahead and plug this. Um, I'll go ahead and plug this now so you can be ready for it, folks that are listening to us on the radio. In overtime, we are going to be covering live the press conference of the Teamsters Union that will be live at 11 a.m. Central. We'll be tuning in to hear what International Teamsters President Sean O'Brien has to say, giving our live reaction, stuff like that. So, uh... Make sure that you find us online so you can keep listening to us because that's going to be very important. Um, if you want to be part of the program today, we've got a phone number. The line is not open right now because we've got a lot to get to during the main show. Uh, but we are going to be taking calls in overtime after we run the press conference. So um, interested particularly in the thought uh, in the thoughts of Teamsters um, here in overtime about uh, everything that's going on and their reactions to Sean O'Brien's press conference. So during the main show, you can text us at eight four four eight nine nine That 844 844-899-8857. You can call us in overtime at the same number, and you can leave a voicemail and send us a text message throughout the week, and we might answer it on the next show. So if you haven't gotten enough of us, folks, by the time we wrap up here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere you find anything online. You, uh, we, do, you know, Believe it or not, we do other stuff throughout the week. Um we have, you know, and, and so sometimes I will tweet uh very funny things. Uh I'm a very entertaining guy on Twitter at Jacob M underscore A L. You can find the show at Labor Reporters. Um so you can find us online, Twitter, TikTok, uh uh, Facebook. Um and some other places tvlr.fm of course uh make sure that you bookmark that page and do follow our tiktok because it has been it has been doing better recently we've been the algorithm has been picking up our stuff we had uh one video with almost a million views wow that's crazy so find us find us everywhere All at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners in the form of monthly donations. Uh, So if you want to become one of those donors and help us continue uh, to do what we are doing now, then uh, do become a monthly donor because that is really, uh, that, that's really an important part of our funding and that's going to be an important part of the way that we grow the project. So you can do that at tvlr.fm slash donate, tvlr.fm slash donate, and you can set up a recurring payment through our union payment processing service. Um, if you want to buy our merch, you can go to tvlr.fm slash merch. No, 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 tvlr.fm slash store. And you can find all of our merch there. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thevalleylaborreport if you just like that interface. Um, And if you are a patron, then you get an ad-free version of the show all in one file. So uh, if you're a member of a union, then please also think about getting your local to sponsor the show. Your local union, your uh, regional district council, your state council, your international union, uh, anybody of organized labor um, there is, you know, there's a little bit of money to go around among those organizations, and we could definitely use the support.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, we would we'd love that, whether it's a union, a progressive organization, a media outlet, a, you know, a union print shop, whatever yeah. the situation may be. If you're interested in connecting with our audience of union allies and activists, definitely hit us up. And let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed today in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or your favorite podcast app. And we are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and encourage our listeners to check that out.
1: Absolutely. So um Like I said, uh, we are going to be talking to Lee Harris uh, in just a few minutes. We're really looking forward to that conversation. She's been doing some great reporting on what's going on in Arizona uh, with the construction of a semiconductor plant. But before we get to that, we want to get to this local story about uh, the workers at Aerojet Rocketdyne. I know that that is a question that we have been asked actually throughout the week we've been asked about and we' and we've said it on you know on social media. we broke the news on social media. Um, and so you know if you follow us there, you would have you would have uh, known it uh, as soon as it happened. But uh, workers at Aerojet Rocketdyne uh, were not successful in their bid uh, for unionization. Uh, the vote was not particularly close. It was 80 against, 29 for the union. Uh, which is uh, very disappointing. The vote happened on Wednesday, like we said last week. Uh, workers had an opportunity both before and after their shifts in the employer's conference room to vote. The count was completed the same day because of the small unit, and so I, I got, um, you know, messages from some of the, uh, you know, from some of the workers and the union staff uh, telling me re- the results. Um and so just a little bit of background, this is the second time that workers have uh, tried to unionize uh, at Aerojet Rocketdyne here in the last year or 2 um, If for longtime listeners of the show and uh, very observant listeners of the show will remember us um, making note of that during last week in Southern Labor that Aerojet Rocketdyne employees had filed a petition for union election uh, sometime last year. That election ended up getting pulled because of a lack of support among the bargaining unit, and so then they refiled. Um, Just a note on last week in Southern Labor, uh, the reason that that has stopped is because uh, Jonah Furman, the person who was putting together uh, the newsletter for the entirety of the United States, has stopped doing that because he's now on the communications staff for the UAW. Um, So he doesn't have time to do that anymore, understandably. And so we are working on building out capacity to do our uh, to collect that information ourselves in-house. But back to the Aerojet story, you know, so the first time, like I said, they pulled the petition before it got to an election. So they didn't have an election. Um, Then they refiled when they felt like they were, again, over 50 percent of the people had signed cards. Um, And then once they got the election, it came back that the unit was a bit bigger than they had anticipated. Um, And so there was there was consideration from the union of pulling the petition again. Uh, But what uh, what I was told when I talked to folks is, is that, you know, people on the committee inside inside Aerojet, um, were against that were against pulling the petition again they were really you know they really wanted to have an election to just have a shot to act you know to actually have a vote and and you know that i understand that impulse and that makes sense and so uh the union did not pull the petition uh they allowed the vote to go through uh even though they were kind of expecting a loss um and so uh you know everybody that i talked to from worker to organizer to international representative said that you know in particular the really the biggest kind of thing was management's assertions that a contract would take years to acquire and not only that but that during the process of negotiations Aerojet would be unable to by law give out any raises um and that, uh, and so the folks said that that was very detrimental to the campaign. That did a lot of damage to the campaign, according to workers and, and the union. Um, and that's understandable if you believe that, right? Um, because, <laughs> you know, if you... And, and the some of the truth is that it could take a while to get a contract. Um, the thing behind that is that whose fault would that be? That would be the companies. It would not be the unions. Uh, but it is absolutely not true that... You could not give scheduled raises or bonuses that would typically come at, you know, certain times during the bargaining process. Uh, What is actually true is that the company must maintain status quo. And so status quo does not mean static, right, that nothing can change or that nothing can progress as previously scheduled. It means that the working conditions must be the same as you would have expected but for the union campaign and contract negotiations, right? So regularly scheduled raises, bonuses that you would expect to get, to get those are still absolutely, absolutely legal. And in fact, the NLRB has ruled that withholding of regular raises is illegal, right? So, you know, management's assertions that you would not be able to get a raise during the time of the contract negotiations, it's just not true. It's, it's just factually inaccurate. Uh, but if you believe that, it is understandable um, why that would be scary to you. Uh, because, uh, you know, folks in the factory, you know, some of them living paycheck to paycheck, uh, you know, a 3% raise, particularly in this environment of high inflation, uh, is very important. And so even if all you can expect is a three percent raise, it's important to get that three percent raise, right? Um Eric, the worker that we spoke to last week, said that, you know, management had basically convinced folks that if they unionized, quote, they would lose something. Um, which is, you know, which is very unfortunate. But it but it's understandable. Um and Andre, another one of the workers that that I've had I've had communications with, said that, you know, um in you know, he can understand how people could believe and and maybe potentially it might even be true that in the short term the better thing for the individual for an individual would be not to unionize because of all of the dirty tricks that management would pull uh but you know in uh his his belief and his argument and and my belief is that in the long term and potentially even in the short term but certainly in the long term unionization is going to be the better thing both for the individual and the group uh at Aerojet but you know it's uh um it, it's a very difficult thing to go against management um and so uh, so, uh, some other consistent lies and misdirections that were maybe less effective than the bit about the contract negotiations, uh, but were certainly there, is that um, in the inside the facility, I've been told the anti-union folks were given free reign to, you know, just talk up the case against the union. Um, They were never admonished or told not to discuss the campaign on the floor. While the same thing was not true for the pro-union folks, they were pulled to the side uh, by management. This is uh, according to folks that I have talked to inside of the shop. They were pulled aside and told that you need to be quiet or your job is potentially on the line, which is, of course, illegal um, and retaliatory and intimidation. Uh, but, you know, I mean, labor law is not, it doesn't have a lot of teeth in this country. Uh, somebody else bought into some anti-pension arguments, um, was somehow worried about having a defined <laughs> defined benefit retirement plan, saying that, you know, I want to be able to invest my money for retirement and, you know, do with it what I want to do. And, you know, I mean, just any analysis of of, of the effectiveness of pensions versus 401ks would, would show you that that is not a... You know that's not a winning argument, but you know some people believed it, right? Um, and I mean,
3: uh, you could still take your own money uh, mm-hmm. and do what you wish in terms of retirement, uh, especially if you get a uh, union and you get a raise. You can take that pay raise and and mm-hmm. put it into your own investment account. I mean, that's yeah, that's mm-hmm. a little silly, and it's it's right. sad that that you know that actually worked on some folks.
1: Yeah. Uh something else is is management I was told was going around the shop floor handing out vote no bracelets or I'm voting no or I'm against the union bracelets some kind of anti-union bracelets uh which is also that uh, my understanding is that's not legal either um that management cannot be, you know, participants in the campaign, right? Uh they can give their arguments, but they can't go around, you know, handing out vote no stuff, right? I, not- you
3: know, I'm not exactly sure what the the legal limit there is, because mm. um, you're you- right. You know, management is not part of the campaign per se. Right. Um, that doesn't stop them from running anti campaigns. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm not sure exactly where that line is, but it sounds like they certainly were willing to step up to the line, if not cross it.
1: Yeah. Um, and even if that is legal, you know, you can understand how it would be intimidating absolutely to not take one of those bracelets, right? If uh, everybody else <laughs> in folks your are shift watching. Yeah, folks are watching and if everybody else in your shift is is publicly saying they're voting no and you're the only one, you could potentially put a target on your back and and you know, no doubt that's scary. Um they were told that uh you know, oh if you just give us a shot, you know, we will will level you up quicker, whatever. Um and so, you know, that's kind of the state of things uh Even though they lost, Eric did tell me that that he d- he didn't regret participating in the campaign He said he's made friends that he's gonna you know uh that be with him for the rest of his life and and that uh, it's been a really powerful experience for him and so uh you know that's great to hear um uh Frenchy the staff organizer with the machinists in this area. <laughs> uh told me that he's appreciative of the supporters and that to the aerojet employees and anybody else uh for for that matter that's interested in unionization in the huntsville area the machinist union is still here and and ready to support and they um and and they are actually you know more or less expecting the uh, that that workers at Aerojet are going to see here in a couple of years, or in a year or so, that um they uh, that management has not kept their promises, and that you know they're going to want a change. And so, uh, the machinist union is still going to be there, um, after you know, after management has has failed to live up to their promises again. Uh, so I'll I'll leave you that with this really funny story that Eric told me <laughs> yesterday when I was talking to him. He said that. Uh, after the election, he was talking to an observer for the company, uh, um, and this fella said that you know I've got a buddy that works for FedEx, uh, and he's been there for twenty years as a driver, um, and he's trying to and he's trying to get out of it because that FedEx just doesn't pay a lot, and and on top of that, they're trying to phase out their drivers and contract out all of their all of their drive driving work, uh, kind of like Amazon does, um, and so. Uh, he told Eric this uh, the observer for the company said you know I told him he needs to get a job at UPS you know look at how much more money they get than, than FedEx and, and Eric was like you know why do you reckon they'd get that it's because they're unionized it's because they've stood up for themselves the uh, UPS didn't just out of benevolence give teamsters 30-40 dollars an hour to deliver packages it's because they uh, you know the workers came together uh, saw the value that they're creating for the company and demanded uh, that their pay be commensurate with that and that you know they take home more of the profits and so uh you know that's that's kind of a funny story that you know you've got an active participant in an anti-union campaign advising his friends to go work for a union company because of the obvious benefits
3: (laughs) right right um well and i i would just say uh you know i do appreciate everyone's efforts uh for the campaign it's not an easy thing to do and Mm -hmm. you know win or lose it's it's uh a tough challenge and so uh respect everyone's efforts there i definitely hope there's going to be a lot of reflection and debriefing and kind of analyzing um you know what went well what what didn't obviously mm. and, and trying to learn from it and move forward in a, a positive way where you can really um you know build back better yeah. so to speak not, not to <laughs> sorry not to uh steal a, a joe biden line that, right as we're about to talk to lee harris and uh dissect him a little bit yeah. but
1: yeah well we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and take that break here from our sponsors who pay the bills i mean on and, and and you know maybe we're gonna be talking about this more in the coming weeks but we really are coming up on a you know a a, a potential need to scale back some of the stuff that we are doing because of uh, a lack of, of uh, sponsors materializing, um, and so we really, we really, really appreciate the sponsors that we do have, and um, and and you know are looking forward to continuing our relationship in the future. Um, and so, if you want to be a sponsor, reach out to us. And uh, and so let's let's uh, listen to them, what they got to say.
0: IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice.
1: Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org.
4: The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker & Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples Tucker and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com no representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms.
3: Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136 out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org
1: Come build a better future with us today and join IU The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning.
0: You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm
2: attorney Tommy Senured. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senured Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senured Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senured Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senured Law. A new firm, but an old name one that will stay with you every step of the way. Senured Law, the name with proven results.
1: it's all wealth all wealth should go to labor and you are listening to the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison and my co-host is adam Keller. if you've got anything to add you can join us in the chat send us a text message 844-899-TVLR. You can find us online where we are streaming to YouTube and Facebook and we do monitor the chat. We appreciate everybody's contributions. We've had somebody ask about the uh, student loan case and uh, we may or may not talk about that some more, but uh, definitely not a fan. And uh, uh, Somebody else said that The Supreme Court is more or less a political action committee And, uh, and that's absolutely true <laughs> That's absolutely true And it's important for people to recognize that So uh, with that We're going to talk to Lee Harris. Lee Harris is a reporter for the American Prospect and also editor for the New York State Focus. Uh, I have not been following the New York State Focus as much as I follow the American Prospect. The American Prospect Prospect is a very good uh, publication. Uh, They have great reporting, um, great analysis, all that good stuff. But I have seen, I've heard lots of good things about the New York State Focus, um, and and I believe that I I have even seen some of the reporting and been impressed by it. But of course, not being a New uh, New Yorker, uh, I'm not following that as much. (laughs) But uh, so uh, Lee joins us today to give us an update on what's happening in Arizona uh, with the construction of a semiconductor manufacturing plant with dollars from the CHIPS Act. Lee, thanks for taking the time with us this morning. Absolutely. So a couple of months ago, you came to talk to us about this construction, and and, 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 and at that time, you did hint at some potential and, and maybe alleged safety issues on the job and, and things like this, Uh, but I don't think you had as much information then as you do now. You have since actually been on the ground in Arizona uh, to take a look at what's happening there. But last time you talked to us about the company's more or less refusal to utilize uh, trade union labor in the construction process. Can you just remind us uh, quickly about What's going on there with them refusing to utilize project labor agreements or or trade unions?
5: For sure. So to give you a little context on the spending, um, uh, along with all of its clean energy investments in the IRA, the Biden administration passed this law, the CHIPS Act, which puts up $52 billion of federal money for investment in semiconductors, which are a big national security priority. They go in everything. They go in cars and iPhones and missiles and kids' toys. Um, uh, They're really crucial electronics. So the Commerce Department is right now in the process of choosing where to spend that money. They put out a public guidance document with some criteria on how they're going to select different companies. Um, One problem is that there aren't that many players in this space. There's Intel, Samsung, Global Foundries, and then there's this com- company, TSMC, um, a Taiwanese company that is far and ahead, ahead um, far away ahead of the competition. They just uh, produce uh, sort of by far the most sophisticated chips. Um, they, they produce the only chips that go in Apple's iPhones and Macs, so the only logic, uh, advanced logic chips. Apple stopped using chips from Intel uh, in those devices back in 2020. So TSMC is this uh, really sort of very important company, and there's a lot riding on getting them back in the. US. Um, but I I give all that context to say that there's this kind of crazy cognitive dissonance going on right now between what the Biden administration says it's doing mm. um, and what's playing out on the ground in Phoenix biden has said that he wants these chips plants to be built union and run union in fact he went to this tsmc site in phoenix and said this is being built union and that's (laughs) it's technically true that there are some uh union contractors on the site on a job but on a job site of about 12,000 workers right now no more than a quarter of them are union workers some union reps told me it was less and I'd say, okay, a a quarter of a huge job site, that's not so bad for unions. But the big question on construction sites is whether you can get a project labor agreement, Mm -hmm. because having a a couple thousand union workers competing with in this kind of race to the bottom with non-union workers uh, doesn't get these union contractors very far. You, You need a PLA because you need to ensure the entire site is union, because it's almost impossible to run a grassroots organizing campaign on a construction site the way you would with a hospital or an auto factory because the workers are there temporarily so you need to unionize it up front and TSMC has just flat out refused a project labor agreement that kind of brings us up uh to the present moment so TSMC doesn't want a deal uh, a, a PLA which if unions got a PLA they say they would kind of immediately kick into gear training up thousands of workers to staff right. the site, but but they don't have that. Um, instead, and this is what I found when I went, uh, there are, uh, it's just an incredibly difficult job site by sort of mm. all reports that I heard when I was there. First of all, and most seriously, the building trades president in Arizona uh, says that there have been at least two deaths of construction workers at the site. Oh, mm. Um, and then just a variety of injuries, which I heard from other folks on the site, mostly impacting people um, who are not union affiliated themselves, often who haven't had a great deal of, um, of training uh, or, right. or apprenticeship time, but really terrible injuries um, were described to me, a man in his 60s who fell off a ladder and b- broke both his legs, oh. um, a young man on a work visa from Mexico who fell through flooring, um, a more than 30 foot drop and damaged his spleen broke his wrist, broke his ribs. And he ended up going to the hospital. I was told mm. that he was put up in a hospital, um, by the general contractor, but there's a huge amount of, um, Secrecy, especially with migrant workers who can very easily be <laughs> sent out of the country and mm. and never heard from again. And so right. can't complain press. So it's really hard, not just for media, to track these people down, but but in fact, for unions often want to reach out to them and kind of um speak to them as an example of how conditions at the job site are really tough. And the union workers I spoke to said they couldn't get in touch with this guy after that injury happened. Um so. Bad injuries and just a, a sort of, from everything I heard, um, pretty bad safety culture. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go on if I might, uh, if if that's cool. And, and yeah, and yeah, no,
1: no, keep going. Yeah, yeah.
5: So, so another big problem is they're using various staffing contractors, and I think this Taiwanese company is having kind of like its first taste of what it's like to work with temp organizations and staffing contractors in the US that, um, uh, that run things pretty differently. So for instance, uh, ABM, which is, uh, this staffing organization that staffs for Amazon, that's kind of notorious for having been sued over wage violations. They're providing a lot of the janitorial staff at the site. And, um, and, and in fact, janitorial kind of understates it, uh, at these, um, at these semiconductor facilities uh things have to be kept incredibly clean because um they uh the kind of entire facility is built around a clean room what's called a clean room where chips are produced and so um these uh st- these sort of janitorial staff actually play a really critical function um in the running of the uh, in the building of the uh, factory because they need to keep things incredibly clean or the chips won't be produced well. So they're like hanging from the ceiling uh, in bunny suits, like full body gear, um, meticulously cleaning uh, steel beams. And it's like very serious work. Um, mm. So ABM has been staffing them, but I learned that they've been consistently underpaying at least the worker that I spoke to. And she said the same thing had been happening to her colleagues. And I reached out the, and, and and they said they've had technical issues. Paying workers uh, accurately at the site. And, and this is sort of a pattern with them. And so uh, and, and the third kind of dynamic beyond the many injuries that were described to me, and that that kind of like wage theft at least one contractor is just that there have been a number of setbacks by non-union contractors who were employing really badly trained workers. So when you have a ton of non-union, you know, pipe fitters, plumbers um uh sheet metal workers on a site they'll often make really rookie mistakes and just to give you one example of that the pipe fitter, a non-union firm installed um piping at on the site and then um in a totally typical move ran condenser water through the pipe to um to check that it was functioning and then they went to drain the pipe and I was told that this mistake that they made um uh, a a first-year union apprentice would never make this kind of rookie mistake, but they forgot to vent the pipe, and so they drain the water, and it collapses in on itself like a like a sucking the air out of a water bottle, hmm. uh, and, and that's wasted pipe. And then there it, it it creates these long delays. Um, the attempt to to fix that problem, and so unions kind of point to this as an example of. You know, having decently trained workers who have been through a union apprenticeship program uh, isn't just better for the workers, it's actually better for delivering uh, the building on time, on schedule, and, and um, right. uh, under the right costs. So, those are some of the dynamics that I was seeing out at this site. But if I could add one more thing, what's kind of crazy having gone and seen all of these problems that are playing out at TSMC on the ground is that it's totally out of touch with the national conversation about, um, about how the Biden administration is doing, because mm. there are a number of critics who say, wow, Biden's, um, Biden's agenda is never going to get built because he's so pro-union and he's given so many handouts to unions that everything's going to be really slow and, and over cost. And I think TSMC executives have played that up and so they've been making the rounds in the media saying it's impossible to work with american workers because they don't have the right work culture Mm. they're too slow and um and they're too costly and they've and they've sort of gotten a lot of the company has gotten a lot of um Press saying, wow, maybe TSMC is such an efficient company, and American workers are so slow and inefficient and, and expensive um, that it's going to be a real problem. And this is a national security priority. That, that's kind of the national narrative that American workers are not good enough to work for TSMC. Wow. That brings us to the present moment. And um TSMC has just announced that on top of a number of um Taiwanese migrant workers who are currently at the plant. They're going to be bringing in with help from the U.S. government with expedited visas uh, that they're trying to secure um, uh, at least 500 more workers to help build the plant. And I'll leave it there. But but I wonder what you make of that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and and that about the uh, project labor agreements and, and the union labor being important in actually the quality of the build. Um, is something that, is, that, that people just don't, you know, in the, it, we actually responded to a clip of, of uh, a Republican congressperson um, talking about PLAs uh, and really um, going up against the labor potential, uh, the acting labor secretary, Julie Sue about them you know, alleging that they cost more. And and, you know, there are to his you know, if I wanna be extremely charitable, there are studies that show that project layer agreement construction sites are more costly. Um there are also studies that show that is not the case. And so, you know, the way that you get to the truth of that matter is you kinda gotta do a little bit of digging. But um even if we granted him potentially, let's just say for the sake of argument, let's say that 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 uh, using union labor does cost more on a construction project uh There are other considerations right <laughs> There are other considerations when you're thinking about should we do this or that thing and and that example is such it an important one is uh you know the consideration of of how likely is it that the workers at this site are going to make Millions of dollars worth of mistakes, right? How likely is it that these workers are going to be well trained enough to complete the project on schedule? Um, you know, these are all other things to think about, whether than you know, uh, number big or small, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and that's to say nothing of
3: of the actual safety of right. the people involved, and I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because. The project labor agreements are, are more likely to have safer work environments mm-hmm. with these highly trained people that you're describing, these highly trained union workers and, you know, setting those standards. And, and you know, what Lee is describing is people whose lives are ruined. Right. Yeah. At work.
2: Absolutely. I mean,
3: they're just going to work to sell their mm-hmm. a little, their time and their labor and their body. Uh, and and they're not going to be able to come home not in the mm-hmm. same same way and that's you know that's awful
1: and and I mean we've even seen some examples of some of this uh right here at home um the United Launch Alliance uh which is a uh rocket manufacturer here in decatur uh their machinists are unionized there with the machinist union. Um, and so when they attempted to do, or or when they began working on an expansion of the Decatur plant, uh, the president of the machinist union, you know, said, look, I think that this should be done with union construction, with, with construction trade unions, um, but at the very least you should have a bid process for this and they should have the opportunity to compete for this project uh and they never were they were never given the opportunity to, com- to compete they uh ULA hired non-union construction contractors um and wouldn't you know it they had uh you know like part of the frame of the building was created with steel beams and it collapsed under a little bit of wind. <laughs> and so here's a, you know, this is a big delay and a costly delay that's happening right here at home, kind of along the lines of what you were talking about. And as far as the training, uh, you know, Adam, you've seen this, uh, at the Orion. He's a, Adam is a member of the Stagehands Union. And they they were working for a while to get a CBA with a local music venue. And uh, uh, my understanding is that some of the management was really pushing to get this done because the non-union stagehands that they were using previously or in, uh, in, in the non-union shows uh, were not doing very well. Right. You know? Yeah,
3: absolutely. And there was a clear difference in the quality of the work being performed and the safety of the work being performed. Uh, and I think that's what you're speaking to, Lee. Like there's. You know, and that's that's the frustrating thing about it, I imagine, from your coverage, is that what's being said, like from the politician's point of view, uh, is this totally different picture from actual reality on the ground there. Uh, and so I really appreciate what you're doing to kind of like just expose what's actually happening beyond talking points and, you know, beyond the company's line, which I find so offensive Uh that That's really, you know, that really bothers me, uh, this company out here saying that, you know, American workers aren't efficient enough or they're too costly, they're too slow, too lazy, whatever the situation may be. Um, that's just so insulting. Are the
1: workers on the ground kind of aware of this disconnect?
5: I think... It's hard to say the, the the unions certainly are because they were promised one thing and they're being given something else so they're right. they're i mean i spoke to um mike day who's the uh great organizer of the director of um of the laborers union down there and he doesn't have a single guy on site uh, right. uh it's a it's a 12 000 person job site but i think for a lot of the Temp workers and um, uh, or workers who are brought in through staffing agencies often they're less aware. I mean, to your point about you know project labor agreements aren't necessarily always the less expensive option. I think that's true, and I don't mean to say you know union workers are off uh, are are, uh, are ultimately less expensive. Part part of the reason we want unions is so that they can be paid um uh a a living wage and a wage that uh, brings them into the middle class however i would say it's interesting to watch this foreign company kind of have its first foray into the the crazy american labor market because i think they right at the outset were like yeah we're not we're not going the union path um that's going to be way higher cost we're going to take that cheaper option of working with these staffing agencies they work well enough for amazon uh shouldn't be a problem for us and they're finding that wow um actually training your workers uh matters and, and bringing in um uh really routinely exploited workers doesn't always turn out to be the best bet for the bottom line either and so they've done this. yeah imagine that um <laughs> uh, another thing to point out is just this is a totally different story than the one playing out in other parts of america right now i mean in ohio uh, partly with sherrod brown's help um Intel ha- is 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 building a, a massive new semiconductor factory, and uh, IBW has gotten the largest project labor agreement there in their history by a factor of two. <laughs> it's two know. times as big the LA they've gotten in the past. So that's a generation's worth of good paying jobs for that community, mm-hmm. and so I think there's a little bit of this like internal internal colony <laughs> um, dynamic uh, that we see in in right to work states where um, uh, where, you know, investments that are really major, um, can end up not benefiting workers very much. The other thing is that the reason to focus on this now is, um, uh, that the U S government has some leverage still. So as I mentioned, commerce is choosing where to spend its 52 billion in semiconductor investments, and they have a lot of latitude. They could decide to give it all to Intel, to give it all to Samsung. Mm -hmm. Most likely they'll give it to a mix. And Um, and they've put out some guidance saying, but it's all sort of like polite suggestions rather than requirements. It's, we'd like to see you working with local labor groups. Tell us about your workforce plan. Mm. They even put out a statement that was really widely sort of, um, mocked as evidence that the Biden administration is asking, is, is, is asking companies to do too much on labor. They put out a statement saying, um, tell us whether um tell us what your plan is to ensure that childcare is available and the business media kind of had a field day with this they were like you know chip makers ought to be making chips they shouldn't be working, worried about providing childcare the thing is um i kind of hear that on some level i mean i see, see why it sounds like woke or something to provide childcare but um i, I
1: don't know i mean i the people say that there, there are people that would say that, but the idea that it is it's woke or or not conservative to provide childcare is really a bizarre argument. Every church to me. I know <laughs> has mean,
3: has some childcare yeah. component, right? I
1: mean, the idea that you don't want families taken care of is just uh, you know that this that it must be a uh, an anti-conservative opinion is pretty wild to me. But it is it is unfortunately kind of a state of play. <laughs>
5: Totally. but And, and um, just to give you a sense of how, like, as I said, disconnected from reality, all of this criticism is um, commerce is not mandating childcare. They're saying, just let us know if there is childcare available in the area. You don't have to wow. subsidize it. You don't have to provide it. Just let us know if it's, it exists basically. Well, that's in
3: government, isn't it? Uh, politely <laughs> yeah, asking <that's>... something.
5: <laughs> right. Exactly. So anyway, commerce has put out this guidance, but um, none of these are hard and fast rules. Mm, um, right. And so, uh, and so TSMC, I think, is right now in a game of chicken where it's saying,, um, you need us more than we need you. You mm. need us to produce our cutting edge chips. Uh, and Biden administration, you're terrified that in a war with Taiwan in in you know, if China invades Taiwan, you'll lose access to cutting edge chips. This is a national security priority of ours uh, of of yours. Washington. Um, are you really going to require us to work with local labor unions? I think that's the dynamic a little bit right now. And so we'll see in the coming months, whether whether the Commerce Department comes back and pushes them and says, we do actually want to deliver the good paying jobs that we promised, or whether they say, you know what, you're right, we need TSMC more than TSMC needs us.
1: Right. And so I, we're going to get to this, this bit about uh, the government potentially even helping them expedite migrant visas before they even try to go through a project labor agreement route. I mean that's just insane. So we're, we're going to talk about that in, in just a second. But um, the obvious, I, I the obvious thing here is nationalization, right? I mean this is, I mean, and and it's even beyond a a, a commercial interest that that citizens in the United States would have for the nationalization of certain things like, like healthcare or something like that. I mean, like you said, there's a, I mean, there's a real actual genuine national security aspect to this here. Um, that, and, and so if this, you know, uh, uh, Taiwanese capitalist is getting in the way of our, of us meeting our national security needs, we should just as a government, we should just as a, as a country, just take it. Right. (laughs) I mean, right.
5: um, it's a really good point because <laughs> another dimension of what commerce has been politely asking for, though not requiring, is it said, please don't do stock buybacks with the billions mm. of dollars that we're giving you.
3: Oh the man! The
5: funny thing about that request, <laughs> and and the a lot of these big chip producers are do tons of of corporate stock buybacks, um, but the funny thing is that they can put it on their balance sheet wherever they want. So they can still issue stock buybacks and say, oh yeah, we didn't use the CHIPS money for that. But of course money is totally fungible. And so there's very little way of enforcing this request that they please not just give these taxpayer dollars to shareholders. Um, Yeah, the the nationalization idea is is a really interesting one. Uh, We, particularly because of the, the national security dimension.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean it just seems but it I there's not been any talk of this from the administration, right? Any talk of nationalization?
5: No, I don't think so. And um uh and the the wider context I guess is that American firms fell really far behind. Um mm. as I mentioned the reason we're now in this kind of on the back foot in our attempt to bargain with TSMC is is partly that Intel and other uh, producers based here have really outsourced um, uh, this capacity and then also just didn't stay at the cutting edge of chip production. Mm. So maybe there's there's a reason to um, uh, build those incentives in directly.
1: Right. right. So, you know, a lot of this that we've been talking about, uh, people can find uh, more in your investigation for the American Prospect uh, titled uh, Chip Makers Scramble to Build Marred by mistakes and injuries. Uh, it's a very long investigative piece. Very good. Would recommend people re, uh, read it. Um, and and so the last thing that we wanted to talk about is the most recent piece that you put out yesterday, uh, titled uh, "TSMC to bring 500 plus more migrant workers to Arizona." Um, and you you alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but uh, there are talks that the United States government. Is going to be helping this company bring in migrant workers before making them try to really tap into the American workforce. What is up with that?
5: Yeah, it's outrageous. I mean, I think it's the government just buying the company line that American workers are impossible to work with. the, the irony is that there, there are I mean, the irony there are already uh, migrant workers at the site, right. both. Um, uh, both America's sort of more classic, flexible labor pool of exploitable migrant labor that it uses from below the southern border and mm-hmm. also uh, Taiwanese workers working for these um, staffing firms that typically work with Taiwan. And and it's just worth saying here, the objection isn't to using, uh, I guess, non-American. The, the objection is to the fact that... Um, these workers are undercutting jobs that are being um uh, that are being subsidized by american taxpayers and also that when you have a plant with migrant workers who have work visas secured by the company it makes it incredibly hard to push back on anything the company is wrong d- doing wrong or to demand higher labor standards because these these workers are they're at the uh, sort of at the pleasure of the executives and they could be sent home anytime. They're they're almost impossible to organize.
3: Right. It's such a power right. imbalance.
1: Yeah. And and even even though, I mean, presumably, I mean, most of the people, I, uh, undoubtedly there they're there are some undocumented immigrants, I I would just assume. Uh, but but presumably most of the of the immigrants at this site are are uh, you know, quote unquote legal are documented. Uh but that really does not make their situation much better as far as the degree to which they can withstand retaliation because like you said even because a lot of these visas are dependent on their employer and so if their employer decides like I'm not going to be your sponsor anymore uh then then they're going to get sent back
5: right they're there temporarily at the behest of the employer and It also just represents this renunciation of TSMC, which is supposed to be one of the major firms in the fastest growing city in America, Phoenix, them just renouncing um, the ability to work with American workers. Sorry, we tried it for a couple of months and we've decided we're just gonna bring in our own laborers so it it undercuts half the point of this investment in domestic manufacturing capacity you keep the national security angle but if you can't work with american workers it's like we're still doing offshoring
1: right yeah we're just doing offshoring but but inside arizona i mean it's really it's really wild and somebody mentioned uh in, in the chat that this sounds like human trafficking and i mean i think to an extent it really does but isn't is isn't arizona is Arizona one of these places where they have been passing um, uh, loosening child labor laws?
5: That's really interesting. I, I I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. Of course, all along the the new battery belt, um, where electric cars and 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 uh, batteries for e vehicles are being manufactured, there have been a number of instances of child labor. Uh, uh-huh. With, with big auto producers. Um, but it's a great question about Arizona.
1: Yeah, and because and, and it made me think about the, the human trafficking angle. It, it made me think about that because in Arkansas, where Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed a bill to uh, get rid of a requirement for a parental consent form to be <laughs> to be uh, to be signed. I mean, that is just, uh, uh, you know, a child trafficking enabling bill. Right. I mean, because who who does it help if you don't have to have this form signed by your parents to be able to work if you're a minor? Um, It gives bosses one more way that they can feign ignorance to uh, the utilization of of children or of, you know, undocumented workers and things like this. Um, And so it's very, uh, you know, uh, I mean, really, that bill is like uh, child trafficking enabler. Bill. Well, and
3: everything we're, we're talking about this morning here is speaks to a huge imbalance of power in the concentration of power within corporate forces, in this case, not even a domestic corporation, right, a foreign corporation uh, who is now being supported by our own government, our own tax dollars and shipping in their own workforce, Uh, Before they will do business with local labor unions. And that's just really a slap in the face.
1: Hell, I mean, if this was in Delaware, this company might be able to vote in Arizona. Right. Right. I mean, we've seen some of that coming out of Arizona, trying to allow companies to to vote in elections. And so, you know, uh, talking about voting, how are, uh, you know, how is the fight coming uh, from? Uh, you know, working folks in Arizona from from unions and and presumably there are some sympathetic politicians in Arizona. How how, what's the status of some of the fight back against this?
5: It's one thing I want to write about in my next piece on this. Mm. Um, My understanding so far, although I need to do some more reporting, is that Mark Kelly, the senator, has been at least talking with unions about this and um, and that they has appeared sympathetic, but ultimately they don't have a project labor agreement or much of a foothold foot at this site. Um, there are also a number of other IRA-sponsored new investments like a battery facility and a hydrogen hub where it doesn't seem like they're going to get, uh, like like unions aren't going to get any kind of deal with the employer either. Best case scenario there, they might be able to get a couple contractors on site, but no deal for labor standards seems like it's on the way. And so my, my sort of bigger question about how this all plays out is we're seeing a ton of uh, the capital from the recent investments in the Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act and the Infrastructure Act being spent in red states, and partly because that's just companies trying to game the system and uh, and build in places where they can treat workers worse and, and, and pay right. them less. Um, one possible and and there was a a debate for a while about whether that was intentional by biden whether biden was like we want these investments to go to red states for political reasons so that we can recapture some of these votes of disillusioned former democrats who have started voting republican but if they just and i think it's this interesting open question if this democrat administration manages to channel a lot of investment into these regions um, maybe it does win over uh, the the kind of more right wing working class, but if instead um, they fail to attach, you know, decent labor standards and, and make them good paying jobs, uh, which is how it's playing out uh, mm-hmm. so far. I think both both in the, the the southern states where we're seeing auto investments and in the Southwest, um, it it's a real lost opportunity politically for Democrats.
1: Absolutely. I mean, well, the I mean, the thing really, I mean, one of the primary uh, grievances that the, you know, quote unquote white working class had is the, you know, the is undocumented immigrants coming and quoting you know quote-unquote stealing our jobs right and you know there's certainly some problematic things to that framing and and there are ways that you know and it's important to to understand that that you know undocumented workers are workers and, and that that we need to have solidarity with them and, and recognize that they're not the enemy it's it's the bosses that are both exploiting them and also undercutting us but the idea that you could utilize you know that that it's going to win over Right-wing workers by by uh, putting a big construction site that's going to be worked almost exclusively or primarily or, or in in large part by migrant workers, the idea that that's going to be politically beneficial is is, is insane. And and in fact, I I would ant- I would anticipate that it's going to uh, that it would it, it would have a negative effect politically. Yep.
5: Yeah. I, I guess I would just um, close by saying that. Um, this really is a live issue where we could mm. kind of see it go both ways. I mean, it's true that TSMC is trying to bring in all these hundreds of additional workers, but they have up to $15 billion in subsidies that they're expecting on the line. Ooh. So I think the <laughs> Commerce Department decides to play hardball and to say, you know what?
3: Oh, no, we lost Uh-oh. Lee.
5: If you're not going to employ American workers you've lost me a little bit. Um okay, oh, am I back?
3: Yes. You're back, yes, you're back. Yay.
5: Um I think Congress department should play hardball.
3: and um the Oh no, we're we're losing Lee. We're losing Lee. I I think she has t- totally cut out on us.
1: Well, I uh, <laughs> I think we were wrapping up anyway. So so uh, Lee Harris is is a reporter for the American Prospect. Been doing some great reporting on the construction of a, of the TSMC uh, manufacturing facility in Arizona. Check out that reporting in the American Prospect. Follow her on Twitter at Lee underscore Harris. Uh, that is with three E's L E E E underscore Harris. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter there. And Yeah, um, she's
3: doing great work. Really appreciate the reporting.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that, that uh you know the, the wrap up was that, you know, uh uh the Commerce Department has fifteen billion dollars that they can play hardball with and, and right. they absolutely should. Uh, and they should do that uh, for the benefit of of you know, our society and, and, and working folks and, and the labor movement. So
3: Right. And uh, absolutely our labor movement has to be engaged with the Department of Commerce right now. Talking about that fifteen billion dollars. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, really appreciate Lee. Thanks for for being on the show and for all the good work you're doing for the American Prospect. Uh y'all check that out.
1: Yep. Yeah. And Thanks, Lee. All right. Uh with that, we're gonna go ahead and head to a break. We'll be right back. Uh Tristan Gilbert is going to come online to talk to us about what's been going on in Madison City. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back.
0: There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW 558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW 558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW 558.org.
1: Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower-than-average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer,
0: O-R-G. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO.
1: The Laborers International Union of North America Local 366 is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm
0: attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you.
2: Senured Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senured Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senured Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senured Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senured
1: Law, the name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's wwwu the number 8, dot n-e-t. A Better Future is Ours. Alabama's only union talk radio show, this is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller. We just wrapped up a conversation with Lee Harris from the American Prospect on uh, Chips Act. Semiconductor construction projects in Arizona. Really great discussion. If you missed it and you're on the radio, you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, Great uh, rave reviews already coming in from the audience. Uh, DL Cindero in the chat. Great job with that, Lee. Excellent articles in the American Prospect on Twitter uh lee got a reply to her post promoting the video from a robert saying that may have been the single best labor discussion i've heard in a long time i'm truly thankful for the work you're doing and the sunlight you're shining into the places that are normally in the shadows uh so really great reviews coming in for um for lee and appreciate yeah appreciate her taking the time with us um We've had a couple of people uh, uh, say in the chat that, uh, you know, if only we elect more Democrats, everything's going to be better. And uh, that's what people are telling me. That's what people are telling me, even though uh, Nancy Pelosi was cited in the decision to rescind um, (laughs) student loan forgiveness. Did you see that, Adam?
3: No, I haven't seen that yet. Robert
1: Gorsuch literally quoted Nancy Pelosi in his opinion. Wow. Yeah. Wild, wild stuff. But, uh, but um, we we got we we've still got some stuff to get to before we get off the radio. We do, yeah. If you're um if you're listening to us on the radio, make sure that you find us online on YouTube and Facebook, where we are going to be uh running live the press conference uh, that the Teamsters are putting on at 11 a.m. to talk about the status of the negotiations. Uh, so make sure that you follow us on YouTube and Facebook so you can see that. But right now we're going to get to our regular madison city council report uh with our madison city council watcher tristan gilbert tristan welcome to the program appreciate your time
2: Uh, good morning jacob morning adam Um, sorry i missed a month i'm back now with two months of news to cover so i'm gonna try to get through it pretty fast all right
1: all right sounds good yeah so give us give us some of the top lines what's going on in madison city
2: All right. Well, first off, we've got the results of the special election that was held on May 9th. Uh, The city voted overwhelmingly to keep the mayor council form of government. Uh, The result was about three to one against, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got some thoughts about that. I I still don't think it makes a huge difference which form of government the city works under. I think both kind of have pros and cons, as I've said before. I would have liked to have seen more of an effort by the proponents to actually defend their position i saw a lot of road signs and billboards leading up to it saying vote no and they had the much larger voice in the council meetings i've heard from locals that the proponents uh madison forward i think it was uh, sent out a lot of mailers and attended some school-based events but i really didn't see that much of them as things were heating up so Mm. i uh, I feel like I sh- I, sh- I showed a lot more clips of people who were against it, but that just because there were, there were more of them to show. I wasn't right, trying to be right. biased there. Um, so, yeah, we'll be uh, mayor council town for probably another, at least another decade or so, right. um, maybe forever. Um, following that, the city's begun redistricting work. Um, they're re- uh, it's being drawn up by Slaughter and Associates, the legal firm who has done that for them before. Um, and they're shooting to have seven equal districts. Uh, I think that's the same as what they have now. I think it would have gone to six if it had become council manager. Um. But it'll stay at seven. Uh, so that's, that's that for that. My next item I want to talk about is some good news. Uh, I I think I just confirmed this that Madison is going to be getting a science museum, a, um, it's a biology and paleontology-focused museum, so like dinosaurs, other prehistoric species, um, more of a more of a biological bent, not your normal Huntsville, Madison rocket science. Uh, mm. So a little bit of flavor, a little bit of yeah, spice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, um, it's being uh, organized and built by a nonprofit uh, innovation. The sorry, the Innovation for Education Foundation. Uh, headed by one uh, Joe Iacuzo, I got to see a bit of a work session where he was presenting his ideas. Uh, A bit of an eccentric, but who who do you expect to start a science museum? He seems above board to me. Um, At first, the council was concerned that the museum couldn't support itself financially. They were asking him for more detailed finances. He was saying that he couldn't get finance partners online until he had a building. He was seeking a um, basically a building charter from the council uh, down at the um, there's a bunch of old hexagon buildings they bought near town Madison which is over by Zert uh, if you're familiar Mm -hmm. and uh, they're converting some of those so he was trying to get one of those and according to the all things Madison website uh, it looks like that did happen and the project is underway so they have a website called madscimuseum.org that's M-A-D-S-C-I museum.org. If you want to find other information, donate to that. Um, it's all there. Um, that was the good news. This next one gets a little gets a little dark. Um, the uh, (laughs) second meeting in May, uh, was one of the most highly attended meetings I've seen since I've been watching. Hmm. Uh, There were a lot of people who showed up to express their concerns or support for uh, Rocket City Armory. Uh, Raga City Armory is a new privately owned gun store. It's either it either was just completed or is nearing completion uh, here in town. And the problem with it is it is it's very close to an elementary school. I, I think somebody said like 600 feet. And so, um, with people finally waking up to the uh, epidemic of gun violence, but specifically in schools, a lot of parents were there expressing concern. And asking that the city please do something about it, and then there were a lot of people there in support of the store and its owner, and it was a, there was a a lot of back and forth. Um, the uh, the reason that it hadn't been caught before, so the the city has several uh, several sort of zoning, they have like a zoning system set up where if a new business is under a certain size uh just by area I think it's 10,000 square feet is their limit they can go through this whole process and it doesn't come to the council's desk uh because it's you know it's business as usual sort of thing uh, so they didn't really hear about it until uh par- until parents of school children there started raising their concerns and now it's turned into a it's it's turned into a whole big public argument yeah that's
1: that's kind of uh it's kind of wild that there are people that are supportive of that you know like uh i have no problem with with gun stores existing um in the same way that i have no problem with liquor stores existing uh in fact i uh would be a patron of both establishments but i don't think it would be appropriate to have a liquor store 600 feet from an elementary school uh and and so and that doesn't make me, you know, anti-beer or anti-liquor, you know, I like beer, right? But uh yeah, there are some things that are just like, you know, not appropriate for children. Why would we have it across from an elementary school? Uh what are the arguments of people that want uh, you know, a <laughs> a literal armory right next to their children?
2: Well, uh most of the people who are concerned about it, I share your position really. Nobody has a problem with the gun store as a concept, nobody has a problem with its owner. They just said this is appallingly bad taste to have it near a school. One father told the story about his uh his child having a, just a traumatic episode even seeing it because a lot of children they have a lot of anxiety about this issue. Understandably, they're mm. smarter than people give them credit for. They know what kind of, uh, what what kind of direction that the country is in. Um. And then, like, there were also some. There were also some decent arguments uh, uh, on the people supporting it side. I will, I will to, to be fair, I will give them. I'll oh, just scroll down my notes here for a second. Um, uh, there were, you know, there were a lot of the regular sort of pro-business uh, type people who were like, you know, this shouldn't be this. This shouldn't be the city's concern. This should be. Uh, uh, the this. Business followed all the like procedures and everything. It's done everything right, but uh, I'm I'm going to stop being neutral here for a second. There were also a lot of really bad arguments on that side. A lot of people showed up to be character witnesses for the store's owner, mm. uh, and it's like okay, it just, that's that's fine, but nobody nobody was besmirching the man. Uh, right, nobody said he's a bad person. To the
3: issue, right?
2: Yeah, it's yeah, it's a structural problem, and I think it just I, to me it highlights the general like. Uh, I, conservatives don't like to see things as structures they like like stories of good people and bad people and so they're saying this per- this guy is a good person and i don't disagree with him he seemed like he he's a veteran he's uh he he knows his he knows his way around firearms the business he seems to have overcome a lot of adversity to build that store. but like uh, could he have built it somewhere else is the right. is the question so uh, so yeah uh, the character references were just missing the point you also had like some very some some very like overused arguments. There there was literally a, a lady who said the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is
1: mm. yeah a good guy with a yeah gun.
2: <laughs> yeah she said that and I kind of tuned out at that point. So so that's that's a thing that's happening. There's a lot of different people who spoke. I can't really drill down and give them full credit here. You should go watch the second May meeting uh, on. I have a Madison's uh, YouTube channel, they've still been faithfully logging these and they have uh, links in the description to uh, each commenter. So you can, you can jump to the ones you want to hear pretty quickly, but you should listen to all of them. Um,
3: and shout out to I Vote Madison to do. for doing that, by the way. Uh, that's a really great service.
2: Yeah, um, apparently the I, I don't have the full breadth of the data here, but the there was a petition signed uh, that made it through in the council, or the, I think of the mayor's office, actually, uh, were the ones who signed off on it, that they are uh, going to ensure that there's there's going to be another SRO full-time at that school, which I don't know the acronym, but I know it's a security officer. A so, school resource no. officer,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. School resource officer, And okay. they are police. They are active police. Uh, they are basically okay. on loan from the police department to the school
2: well yeah it's not not the solution i would have wanted but i'm i'm glad they're doing something um and he and the mayor had expressed in that in the first meeting that you know their hands are basically tied they could use that given precedent they could use uh nuisance laws to revoke a business license but they've only done that like once in the last decade and that was for a uh juvenile detention center that had some breakouts um and i think 20- 20 yeah in uh 2017 uh, this is the first i heard about it but if you have any if you want to
3: no i i do i do recall that being a big you know issue in the madison community uh, a lot of people were concerned about safety and and so yeah that I, I understand that would be a big deal for for them to to use that precedent having rarely used it before
2: yeah and i don't think they're going to do that unless something tragic happens and of course i hope it doesn't right but i think uh, if if you're if you're a gun person you want to open a responsible store please please show a little a little uh discretion, discretion. W- where you open it yeah it's yeah. uh this this is this this is not this is not great
3: I think using some discretion and modesty there would display responsibility uh and by locating it right across from the elementary school sort of Displays a lack of responsibility that that I think probably feeds into parent concerns um, because I'm I'm like you Jacob I'm a gun owner I own multiple guns uh, I don't plan on giving them up anytime soon no one's gonna take them from me um, so you know I I hear all that to my conservative brothers and sisters out there who are packing I get you um, but you know like like Tristan said this is this is pretty poor taste. I mean, and, and I, I like your analogy with the liquor store, Jacob. I, I feel the exact same way. Um, I would not want the liquor store right across from the school, just like I didn't want the, uh, I wouldn't want the armory right across from the school. And it's just, um, yeah, that's that's sad that, you know, that's, that's becoming an inflection point in the community. I hope that, uh, you know, folks can talk through some solutions, but it sounds like maybe uh, it's sort of, past that point and and it just is was it what it is it sounds like to me i mean i is is that fair enough tristan that it's kind of already a done deal
2: i think so there's a lot of legal barriers to doing anything um and i think that the best case scenario is that nothing gets done because the precedence would mean something really horrible has happened so mm. right um i hope this is the last time we had to talk about it yeah. sure um
1: yeah lord willing so yeah so yeah, yeah. So, Tristan, in the next, in the last, you know, three or four minutes that we have you, any other kind of top lines to be looking out for in Madison City?
2: Well, uh, June's been a lot more boring. Uh, so, I can knock it out pretty quick. Um, Madison Utilities is fixing a lot of road segments. There are old sewer trenches collapsing under roadways. So, they go in, fix the trench, repave. There's just a lot of them to get to. So, uh, they're triaging it. If you've got a dip in your road nearby, um, it might be a minute because they've, they've got a lot of these to, to get through. Um, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of public comments about budgetary concerns. Um, I think that, I, I think a lot of people don't, I, I think, uh, municipal budget sounds very expensive to a lot of people, but you know, a million dollars is not a huge thing for a city. Uh, but sometimes you'll see the council balk at larger numbers. Like, uh, there was a $3 million transfer by, uh, director of finance, Roger Bellamy. Uh, that Karen Denzine, uh, councilwoman, was questioning, and he got pretty rude to her at one point. He said something like, "Oh, I don't take orders from you," uh, and just uh, a real, uh, real, uh, real, real guy. That one is also clipped in uh, on one of Madison, uh, one of Madison, or I vote Madison's channels videos. Um, there, there's been a lot of work by drainage teams in town with all the spring storms. Uh, so I want to uh, give them a little bit of public applause um they've been keeping keeping areas from flooding keeping ditches updated keeping ditches clear all that sort of thing and the new community center is under construction uh, that i mentioned uh several months ago that was uh one one of the mayor's office projects Uh, the council has asked that people not walk onto the construction site if they're not actively you know helping construct it um one of the public commenters uh you can go watch to find out who was apparently the recipient of that comment she'd been going out there onto the uh construction site so uh, you know don't don't go out there unless you uh, are like there is press or um or are are building it so
1: (laughs) all right well that sounds like good advice
3: (laughs) yeah a little common sense
2: yeah, there's, there's there's more in the details. I recommend everybody go watch the streams. Um, but I guess
1: I'll see you guys next month. That's all I've got for now. All right. Thanks, Tristan. Appreciate it. Yeah, really
3: appreciate you. Thanks for keeping an eye on them.
1: Yeah. Uh, here in the last couple of minutes, I uh, want to make sure that I, I tell folks in the Alabama audience about this update on the Warrior Met situation. Uh, the National Labor Relations Board uh, Administrative Law Judge Melissa M. Oliviero yesterday <clears throat> issued a ruling that found Warrior Met Coal violated national labor law. In its bargaining conduct before, after, and during the UMWA's nearly two-year strike, Judge Oliviero ordered the company to bargain in good faith immediately. Uh, The charge stems from a failure by the company to respond to the union's information requests and failing to provide or unreasonably delaying responses to requests, some going all the way back to March of 2021. The information was necessary, the judge said, and this is from uh, uh, AL.com's reporting on it, and they pulled this from the 60-page ruling from Judge Oliviero. The the information was necessary, according to the judge, to determine whether the company, quote, was truly able to pay the union's demands. Uh, Here's a longer quote from the judgment. After a union demonstrates the relevancy of the requested information, the burden shifts to the respondent to establish that the information was not relevant did not exist or for some other valid and acceptable reason could be furnished uh, to the requesting party. When an employer bases its bargaining position on an asserted inability to pay, the union is entitled to request and review the employer's financial records to assess the employer's representations about its dire financial condition. Uh, The UMWA, in their press release, said, We appreciate this ruling because it validates everything we have been saying about this company for more than two years now, uh, said UMWA International President Cecil Roberts, uh, continuing the quote from him, This company caused this strike by by not bargaining in good faith. It extended the strike for nearly 2 years by not bargaining in good faith and it continues to violate the law today. Um so I uh certainly would hope that this changes something but I'm not bullish on the prospects of that uh because of the in, you know the 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 you know um The record? The the record, yeah. The record. Thanks for that. Because of the record, it's just not good, and uh, the judgment, as far as I can tell, comes with no teeth, no penalty, no fines, or uh, nothing to coerce the employer to begin bargaining in good faith or to acquiesce acquiesce to any of the union's demands. Uh, So no real support here from this... you know, from this ruling other than an affirmation that, uh, yes, they are violating the law and uh, no, they will not have any consequences for it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. it's Sort of what we already knew. But, you know, so it's a positive development, but, you know, not one. I'm with you. I don't want to get my hopes up that this is going to, you know, be a game changer. So uh, just sending my love and solidarity to all the UMWA sisters and brothers down there uh, who still have yet to get the contract they deserve.
1: Uh, so as we're wrapping up here, don't forget our we've got a new weekly series called Shop Talk airing online only every Thursday morning at uh, uh, at 9:30 <laughs> we hope typically somewhere <laughs> around there. Um, if you're not on our email list, go to TVlR.fm sign up for that. leave us a voicemail, uh, donate all that stuff at tvlR.fm and go ahead and follow us into overtime. We are going to be taking a quick break and uh, and then running live international teamster president sean o'brien's press conference at 11 a.m central uh find us on facebook youtube and uh until then uh, until next week on the radio uh see you